All right, good morning, Chapel Hill. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one as we open up God's Word again. So if you don't have a Bible with you, just go ahead and put your hand up like this. And our ushers have some Bibles that they're bringing around, and you can take one of those, and you can use it to follow along in. I'll let you know where we're going. And uh, if you do not have a Bible of your own, Please keep the one that you receive and take it with you. Um, In the news this week, uh, it's my wife's birthday today, so happy birthday, Kim. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, she's got a birthday twin sitting two seats away from her. That's kind of cool. And um, the Seahawks, well, never mind. I won't talk about the Seahawks. I promised myself I wouldn't talk about the Seahawks and how they beat the Vikings. And I won't talk about the Seahawks beating the Vikings at all. I won't say a word about it. All right, nothing says Christmas like the story of David and Goliath, right? (laughs) I uh, I googled most popular Christmas sermons and David and Goliath was all over it, Um, or not, but there's a reason for us to hear that that story again this morning and bear with me and and you'll see why uh, in a very short period of time. So consider David for a moment. This is where it all began for him. Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Philistines had their star warrior, a giant, who came out to meet Israel's army every day. Goliath would issue his challenge, and Israel would look the other way. This giant was too much for them. David comes to visit the battle. He's essentially a DoorDash driver at that point. Grain, bread, and cheese to go. His other part-time job was keeping the family sheep Tons of status in this kid's life. Um, And he was a kid. The youngest of eight. His three oldest brothers were fighting in the war versus the Philistines. David, curious, heard what was happening on the front line and ran to see the action and to greet his brothers. And the youngest of eight, the youngest of eight, only there to deliver food before going back to take care of the sheep, stepped into the battle. But when he first got to the front line, his brothers mocked him. David questions why no one would fight the giant. His oldest brother says, what are you doing here? You're just here out of an evil desire to see the fight. Hey, and who's taking care of the sheep? And he got the same response from the others as well. But someone tells Saul, the commander-in-chief, what David is saying. And we get another look at just how insignificant David was. Could Saul, Saul says at first, you can't fight him you're just a kid when David finally went out to face and defeat Goliath Saul asks who's this kid's father the response nobody knew but soon enough everyone knew and David would go on obviously to become Israel's king how did David answer that question about who his father was he said I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite yep Bethlehem Who was David? He was a poor man, a poor boy with no reputation. An unlikely character in a long string of unlikely characters in God's plan. I read a Christmas book recently that was written by Tim Keller. It's called Hidden Christmas. He sees the same pattern that we're looking at this morning. It's a pattern of unlikely characters being used over and over in God's plan. Listen to what he writes. He starts where we did with David. He writes this. 
In ancient times, when the oldest son always got all the wealth and the second or younger sons had no social status, how does God work? Through Abel, not Cain. Through Isaac, not Ishmael. Through Jacob, not Esau. Through Ephraim, not Manasseh. Through David, not his older brothers. At a time when women were valued for their beauty and fertility, God chooses old Sarah, not young Hagar. He chooses Leah, not Rachel. Unattractive Leah, whom Jacob doesn't love. He chooses Rebecca, who can't have children. Hannah, who can't have children. Samson's mother, who can't have children. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, who can't have children. Why? Over and over and over, God says, I will choose Nazareth, not Jerusalem. I will choose the girl nobody wants. I will choose the boy everybody has forgotten. God's been choosing the unlikely for a very long time. He has a history of doing this. And when you look at that whole picture, it is quite something to behold. But why? What is God doing by choosing the unlikely to display his power and his glory. Wouldn't it be more impressive to use the highly influential, the worldly successful, the proven effective, the deeply religious people? And I'm certainly not saying that God only uses the unlikely. God uses all kinds of people. But as we look at the Christmas story and we see that God chose unlikely Mary, an unlikely Joseph, an unlikely Bethlehem, and then we look back throughout history and see this approach repeated over and over again. Don't we owe it to ourselves to ask why? Listen, I've known the Christmas story my whole life, and many of you have too. We, we know that Jesus was born in a stable, laid in a manger by parents who were poor and ostracized in their community. But given the history of God's story and just how many times we see this kind of casting for such important biblical roles, maybe we should pause for a moment to reflect on what's going on. Why is God casting this way for these roles? What is God doing? Well, I will ask him when I get to see him face to face But for now, let's see where a little reflection led me this past week. What is God doing? One of the things that I see God doing in his selection of the unlikelies is declaring his faithfulness. As I read through the Christmas story again this season, I found myself slowing down on Mary's song of praise in Luke 1. So turn there now, Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel had just visited Mary to tell her the wonderful, bizarre, unbelievable news that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. Mary goes to visit her relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth's husband has had an angelic visit of his own. And the two conceive a child who was John the Baptist, the forerunner for Jesus. John does a cartwheel in Elizabeth's womb when Mary and the yet-to-be-born Jesus show up for a visit. And Mary celebrates what God has done. And here's what she says. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Mary clearly believed that God would fulfill his promise to her and to her people. This is what happened. And Mary said, 
My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. What is God doing by choosing Mary and Elizabeth to play such central roles in the Christmas story? I believe that God is declaring his faithfulness to his people and to the world. Mary, an unlikely choice to be the earthly mother of Jesus, saw this too. There's a lot going on in in Mary's song of praise, referred to as the Magnificat. There are probably at least a couple of sermons that could come out of this passage alone, but this morning we're simply gonna highlight the way that Mary points to God's faithfulness here. Listen to what she says or sings about God in this passage. She points out the fact that he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He has done great things for me. He has shown mercy on those who fear him. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry. He has helped his servant, Israel. And as faithful as he was in that one act of choosing Mary, God is just as faithful in fulfilling his promises in our lives. Every I will that he's spoken, he will follow through on. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will never leave you. I will be your strength, but also I will make you a light. You will bear the fragrance of Christ wherever you go. I will use you to comfort others with the comfort that I have given you. I will cause the kingdom to produce fruit in and through you, sometimes 30-fold, sometimes 60, sometimes 100. In his designs for the unlikely, God declares his faithfulness to us. But what else is he doing? We can see more here. God is declaring that his kingdom comes by his power, not man's power. The kingdom of heaven does not succeed or fail by our own power, our skill, our knowledge, effort, connections, heritage, resources, management style, charisma, education, following, planning, or accomplishments. God just needs willing vessels that submit to his authority and surrender to his will. Look at David. David didn't succeed in his battle with Goliath because he was the most powerful soldier in the valley. Goliath was defeated when someone, when David, finally acknowledged God's power. As we pursue God's kingdom, 
as individuals and as a church, this is where we have to start, Chapel Hill. God's power is the key to seeing ourselves and the people around us move from culture to kingdom. There is no force of culture that is greater than God's power. There is no human strategy or resource greater than God's power. So why get so hung up on whether or not we're qualified to be used by God? Listen, if man brings a tank to a fight and God brings a plastic toy sword, God wins. God's power wins. And so throughout the, Bible, the whole Bible story, God uses even the unlikeliest characters. All they require is his power. All you and I require is God's power. Remember that. Our power, our success, accomplishments, education, religious devotion do not make us more or less likely to be used by God. It's his power, his kingdom, his power. What is God doing by creating an unlikely history for his kingdom? I think he's giving tremendous hope to the outcast and to the weary to the forgotten, the overlooked, the disillusioned. Back to David, mocked, insulted, labeled. His brother accused him of having wrong motives for being at the front. He wasn't taken seriously. Why would he be? His three oldest brothers were qualified soldiers. David was a kid. But David had what we all need. David had perspective. There's a challenge to God's kingdom here. Who does he think he is? Let's shut him up and send him away. David had things in the right order. So no matter what he lacked in size, age, reputation, whatever, God would use him. And of course there's Mary and Joseph. Can't imagine how weary they must have been by the time Jesus was born. Their lives had taken a very discouraging turn in many ways. There was no logical way to explain to people what had happened. But they had God. They believed that God was faithful and trustworthy. They believed him and he delivered. All right, so let's make this personal for a few minutes here. Are you weary Has life walked all over you? Do you see yourself as an outsider? Do you not fit in? Are you lonely? Isolated? Have you been rejected, put down, overlooked, underestimated? Do you feel unworthy, unloved, unappreciated? Listen, not one of these things, no matter how true or untrue they may be, can keep God from choosing or using you. Remember, based on what we're seeing in God's story, that God's looking for us to acknowledge him, acknowledge his faithfulness, acknowledge his power, acknowledge his kingdom. 
His faithfulness is absolute. His power is unlimited. His kingdom is forever. Put him first at the top, in the lead, above and beyond everything and everyone, and you're ready to be brought into his perfect plan. What is God doing? He's declaring his faithfulness. He's declaring that his kingdom comes by his power. He's declaring that his kingdom gives hope. And God is declaring that his kingdom comes to where we are. I'm so encouraged personally by what I see in the way God has chosen the unlikely to carry out his story. This this is critical for me as well. Think about the prophecies that put Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Look at Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Bethlehem's future was unknown at that point. There was no guarantee that Bethlehem was going to become this sprawling metropolis, a a center of religious power, a, a famous city bursting with potential. Bethlehem remained what it was, a small, somewhat insignificant town, but that did not stop God. God sent Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. God went to Bethlehem. Bethlehem wasn't required to get their act together before Jesus could be born there. Nazareth, Nazareth wasn't expected to fix their reputation before Jesus grew up there. Jesus' disciples weren't expected to finish seminary before Jesus would choose them. Peter wasn't told that he'd better get his impulsiveness under control before Jesus would send him out to start his church. Paul wasn't required to take some public speaking classes before God sent him around the world to proclaim his gospel. God is not demanding that you get your life in order before he'll consider choosing you. God is not waiting for me to become more charismatic, better network, and overall much more impressive before he'll choose me. God isn't looking at your life and waiting impatiently for you to get your language, drinking, spending, impulsiveness, sarcasm, selfishness, materialism, gossip, immaturity, worldliness, anxiety, whatever it may be dealt with before he'll choose you. God's not holding back his plans impatiently because You haven't been to church frequently enough. You haven't attended enough Bible studies. You don't know enough Greek and Hebrew. You can't recite more than a few verses from memory. You haven't taught Bible classes. You you didn't grow up in the church. You tend to zone out when the pastor uses irrelevant terms. You don't know all of the songs that we sing. You aren't giving a lot of money to the church. You haven't volunteered in family ministry yet. You, You just don't think you measure up. You haven't taken enough steps toward God and what you think he wants from you. Here's the good news in this. God steps towards you. 
God didn't wait for Saul to come to the temple and get his perspective on Jesus right. God went to Saul. Jesus went to the houses of the tax collectors. He hung out with the prostitutes and every type of person. He went to parts of town where others would not go. God sent an angel to a poor betrothed couple. He sent a whole host of angels to some poor shepherds. God sent his spirit to us. He finds us. His kingdom comes to us. What else do I see God doing in choosing the unlikely? I see God declaring that he has a vision for his church. I see God pointing out to us that he will continue to bring his kingdom into this world through his bride. God will continue to choose the unlikely. Like our neighbors and co-workers and fellow students. Like our in-laws. And that person working at the gas station we use. And our kids' teachers and coaches. And their friends. And that mechanic that we don't trust. And that cashier who won't look us in the eye. And that weird guy who lets his dog pee on my lawn. (laughs) And that alcoholic neighbor who lets her daughter's friends drink at her house and wake us up in the middle of the night when they yell at each other outside. And you know who I mean. Maybe one day someone will refer to us as the church of the unlikely filled with unlikely people who have invited a whole bunch of unlikely people to join them in being chosen by a God who loves to use the unlikely for his kingdom purposes. And maybe one day we will write songs about how God faithfully chooses and uses the unlikely. And maybe we'll defeat giants. Over 2,000 years ago, an unlikely Messiah was born in an unlikely town in an unlikely setting to unlikely parents. An unlikely seed was planted, and from it, an unlikely kingdom sprouted. And may that unlikely kingdom come, and may the will of its king be done no matter how unlikely that will may seem, here and now and forevermore. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now and the worship team as well. I ask that you would join me in praying right now as they come. Let's pray together. Father, I can't thank you enough this morning for, <clears throat> for what you've done throughout your story, throughout history, for how you have chosen so many unlikely characters to enter into your story and carry out your will, your plan. And for how that, that chain reached through history and came to me 
to us. Father, I ask that this morning you would remind us, every single one of us, that you choose us. Not based on how impressive we are or how together we have it, how much we've done to prepare to be used by you. You choose us because we have submitted to your authority and surrendered to your will. We have made ourselves available and willing vessels to be filled and used by you. Remind us, Father, that your plan hasn't concluded, that you haven't finished doing what you want to do, that you are still in the business of choosing people to be, to be used as a part of your plan, your kingdom plan. And I ask, Lord, for everyone that's in this room this morning that we would honestly believe as we walk out of here, honestly and truly believe that you could choose us. Pray for everyone who's here this morning that feels weary, that feels inadequate, that feels like an outcast. That they would understand fully that so did David, so did Mary, so did Joseph. they'd be able to see that throughout history you've just been looking for people who acknowledge you and your power and your authority and your lordship. And they stand before you humble and eager anticipating what you're going to do in their lives and through their lives. Father, I pray that you would make us the church of the unlikely, that, that we would be all kinds of people brought together by you for your purpose, for your plan, that we would never write anybody off, including ourselves, when it comes to whether or not you're going to use us. Father, you've chosen, you've chosen us to be here right now in this moment. And so together we stand before you, our King, and ask that you choose us. That you use our lives for your kingdom purposes. Thank you for accepting us the way that we are. Thank you for seeing below the surface to hearts that acknowledge you and desire to be used by you. Thank you for choosing us and calling us to be your children, your family, your church. We praise you. We praise you for Jesus, our King. And we ask that your kingdom come and your will be done in each of our lives and in us as a church. And that as we wander into the Christmas season here and go through the next couple of weeks and beyond that we will acknowledge you as a God who chooses the unlikely, a God who uses everybody 
for his purposes. Praise you for who you are. We praise you for Jesus, for sending him, Emmanuel, God with us. And it's in his name that we pray, in Jesus' name.